0: Hey travel bosses, this week's sponsor is Tripstreak. The next time you need to book a flight and you want to be able to search by preferences like lay down seats or red eye flights or not, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. That's tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the travel like a boss
1: podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD.
0: Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 167 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Kiev, Ukraine with X. Hey Johnny, welcome to Kiev. Thank you very much. And just to get out of the way, you're not Professor X? Not yet. You're just X? That's right. What does that actually stand for? So
2: it's actually short for my real name, uh, which is Xiaohui. Uh, it's Chinese, so people have a hard time pronouncing it. So I decided to truncate that a couple of years back. I
0: like it. So you and I met initially in Chiang Mai. What brought you there?
2: Yeah, so this was uh probably like two, two and a half years back. Originally, I was... Kind of at that time, I was leaving my corporate job over in San Francisco and decided to kind of strike out on my own and was able to connect with a group of digital nomads, digital entrepreneurs. Many of them were saying that Chiang Mai is a very good place to kind of connect with other people on the ground, as well as a good place to baseline and, you know, lower your, your lifestyle living costs while being able to reinvest that capital into your business. So I, uh, I bought a one way ticket to Thailand. At that point. I like it. So were you already working online then? Did you already have a business? Yes. Yeah, so I kind of yes and kind of no. When I bought the ticket, I didn't, but by the time I left, I did. So oh, that's smart. That's yeah. actually
0: like a really good goal set where you give yourself X amount of time and say, I need to get something up and running before I get there.
2: Yeah. It was, it was interesting. So what I actually told myself is probably. Like six months before I, I decided to quit or went d- before I quit, I decided before like January 10th or something of that year that I will quit regardless of whether or not I had something running. So it was, it was kind of a burn the boats mentality, which quickly then towards the end of that time period, then it's how, how many months to, was that total? It was probably like six months prior to, okay.
0: yeah, maybe a little bit before then. Okay. But that's smart. Okay. So then as you were getting closer to. Your one-way ticket, your one-way flight, what happened? Yeah, so I
2: actually went to DC BKK conference for, for digital nomads in Bangkok. And that really opened my eye to what's possible because I, I hear the podcast, I'm online, I see uh what other people are doing. But at the same time, when you're on the ground and there are like, you know, hundreds of other people who they're in different industries and whatnot, but everyone has basically achieved my goal at that time, which is to be able to have a location independence, be able to kind of travel and live in different places while working. That really kind of sparked things. And I actually got two clients out of that <laughs> in the conference as well. So that, that really kickstarted things and got, got things going.
0: I like it. And actually, that's a, a big reason why people come to the Nomad Summit. Even though all the videos are free on YouTube, there's this podcast, there's other podcasts, there's all these blogs... But when people actually go and they meet people in person, especially other people in the audience. So not even the actual speakers who might be killing it, making six figures plus, but the person next to them who's making, you know, two or three, four grand a month. And they're like, wow, like you're just a normal guy sitting next to me and you are living this lifestyle. I can do this as well.
2: Yeah. I totally agree. I think there's just such a. Big value out of actually being on the ground and connecting with people, whether it's the, the Nomad Summit or even just industry conferences and things like that. Because when, when you're face-to-face in this digital age, face-to-face is still king for building that rapport and trust. And I think it's just so invaluable to be able to, to go to actual conferences and meetups.
0: So... When you went to the DC conference in Bangkok, was that your, that six month ticket and say, I'm going to go to this conference six months and then stay there in, in Thailand or did you fly back? So
2: that was actually just for the conference itself. And then I had, uh well, after that, I pretty much just booked my ticket for later. So it was like kind of, in, it was October or so. So I booked it for the next year in May, I believe. And yeah, so <laughs> that kind of put a, Put a stamp on things. My my parents were very. Uh, their response was very
0: interesting. They <laughs> yeah, because you're you're so you're Chinese American. So yes, you grew, where'd
2: you grow up? I grew up in the states. I moved there when I was about six years old. Okay, in where, Texas, you said. Yes, I, I bounced around a bit, but my family's home is in Texas right now.
0: Okay, but still like pretty traditional Asian American parents.
2: Yep, you go to school, you become a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer, and you went to college. Yes, I did. I went to college, uh, on the East coast. At Duke? Yes. Which is an Ivy League? Yes. Very so, expensive too.
0: <laughs> so Asian parents dream come true. Yes. And then the worst nightmare. Kind of. Yeah. My, my, my dad was more receptive to it because I, I
2: feel like he's probably a bit more entrepreneurial risk taking, you know, being the one who took us from, from China to, to states. My mom is much more, uh, traditional in her mindset. So she was, you know, Reasonably freaked out, but I think like at the end of the day, they realized like this is something that I need to do. And this is like where my talents and vision align. And you know, they, they, they just hope to that I succeed in what I'm doing. Right. So do you think they were also secretly hoping that you would go for a few months and just come back? It, I'll bet <laughs> they had that in the back of mind, even, even after like, The business took off and it was running well. My mom would always call me and say, hey, when are you going back to school?
0: (laughs) So did you actually work after you graduated from Duke?
2: Uh, Yeah. So I actually, like I mentioned, I was in San Francisco for almost two years. I actually started an internship with that company while in school in my last semester. And then I moved over to San Francisco full time and kind of learned the ropes of the industry with with that company. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about that company. It was great. I got to work closely with the CEO and we're still in really good terms to date. And I think it was really, really good because even though I had this vision of ultimately kind of starting my own business or it, it still gave me that like practical experience in the commercial world to be able to to navigate my own business, which, you know, there's a lot of intangibles that you're learning as well as hard, hard knowledge. So was this an internship or an actual job? It was was a job. So it started as an internship and then transitioned full time. So yeah, I was full time for like a year and a half or so.
0: And what made you decide, I mean, to make this big move?
2: Yeah, (laughs) A, a deeper question there, right? But I think like ultimately my main drive at that moment and you know, as, as we progress in life, our, our motivations change, but main drive at that moment is I really, really had a bad case of Wonderlust. Like I knew I really wanted to have a lot of experiences, uh, especially when I'm younger, when I have the energy and have the motivation. Particularly around traveling, seeing the world and, um, you know, being exposed to different cultures and really just having a full experience. So I'd say my primary drive at that moment was, was more freedom and exploration. What sparked that? Good question. I mean, I, I, I think that goes down probably to just personality. And even in childhood, I think I'm always like experimenting and always curious about like different cultures, different ways things work so i think that's a natural extension of of that that uh, core sort of like personality motivation and whatever form that takes it kind of transmutes itself right so for example now like after i have you know traveled around quite a bit and uh all that now i think it's more like business focus and how can i explore new frontiers within the the business world right
0: i like it what's funny is i think i've never said this to anyone but I didn't even know I liked to travel. (laughs) I I just like, I never had that one or less. I never, I don't recall ever like dreaming about having like a bucket list of places to go or, you know, watching like movies. Like, Oh, I really want to go there. Mm. I think I just kind of like randomly came to on vacation. And then I was like, Oh wow, this actually is really cool.
2: Wow. That's, that's really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that's probably counter to a lot of people's motivations. Right. Yeah. Do you think it's, it's any sort of negative motivations? Like, do you feel
0: like you might be like running from something or, or? You know what? I think especially when I first came in like 2007, things were actually going really well in the US. This was the height of the boom, the real estate boom, yeah. stock market <laughs> boom. And all my friends were driving eight series BMWs, you know, like just nice car, like nice brand new cars. They were all buying new houses. And they had all this cash to blow. I remember going out in LA and every time the bill came, people would fight for it. Every single time. And when my friends were like, why the hell are you leaving? I couldn't really answer it because on paper, everything seemed great. You know, if you looked at my social media, it looked like I was having the time of my life. You know, I was, I think I even had a Porsche then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It it was like definitely not a new one. it was like, I remember I bought like the first generation of the kind of newer looking boxers. And then change the headlights and taillights to look like the latest one. Mm-hmm. So, And then I was living in this big house that was costing me like... I had two roommates, but we were each paying $1,300. Yep. So it was expensive, but it was like in like the cool area of LA. So everything seemed great, but it was all like kind of a facade, you know? Yep. And it wasn't that I wasn't even trying to be like this fake LA guy. It's what I thought would make me happy. And when I got to, to Thailand... I was like, "Shit!" Everything that I did to to try to make myself happy back in the U.S. like was all was all BS, and I was lying to myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it it sounds like
2: you kind of peeled back the layers of the onion there and realized, like, "Hey, I don't need all this stuff, all this external items to to really be happy." Yep. Right. Yep. So you 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 probably found that you you had like different values that were truly your deeper values, like more more you know freedom, right? For example, and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. And then the love for travel I th- almost kind of came later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you peeled that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I wrote about it in uh, my first book, 12 weeks in Thailand, but it's been so long. I haven't like really thought about it too much, you know? Exactly. And, but it's crazy that how fast our lives change living this lifestyle. Like I haven't seen you in two, you know, two or three years, and that which isn't that long.
2: Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, we kept in contact online and stuff, but not like in person interaction. Yeah.
0: But like when I see my friends back home in LA or even San Francisco, and I say, "Oh, what have you been up to?" They're like, "Oh, not much." And then when I say, "What do you, what do you mean by that?" You know, we "We're working out." It's like, "Oh, same place." I'm like, "Oh, where are you living? Same place?" You know? "Oh, well, we you know, where do you want to go tonight?" They're like, "Oh, let's go to Sutra Bar." And I'm like, "That same place that we used to go." And I was like, "You guys still go there?" And it's weird. Like, I mean, I don't know. Does this happen to you when you go back?
2: Yeah, I get, I get exactly the same feeling. Like, literally, my family lives in the suburbs, so every time I go back, I'm like, "That tree has not changed." (laughs) Like, yeah, they have some new buildings and stuff, but I think, like, this lifestyle really kind of warps our perception of time. So, in a sense, I feel like the last, you know, let's say three, four years, I feel like I've crammed like two decades into those years so in a sense like without getting too philosophical i feel like we're we're extending our lifetimes at least a subjective the the length of our lives by being more exposed to different stimulus different cultures different different items just in general from from traveling i never thought thought of that right yeah we we were uh you know a
0: lot older than we actually are on paper now i almost kind of feel like it because experiences wise you know people that live this lifestyle we've definitely seen more things been in more places, been exposed to more cultures and experiences. It's almost like kind of cramming like a hundred books into, into one book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that. And also what's interesting for me, at least is like you, you're kind of constantly pushing your comfort zones a bit, right? Even if it's just like going somewhere and not knowing the language and having to pantomime in the store to just buy basic necessities, you're kind of constantly pushing your, your comfort zones so that like, Sometimes when talking to like friends back at home or something, something that seems really, really normal to me, like, Oh, I bought a ticket tomorrow, you know, to go to a different continent. They, they, they can't relate to that because, you know, we, we've been doing this a lot and it's very normal between you and I and others. But, uh, perhaps for people, you know, kind of back at home or who they are living like more routine life is not good or bad, but more routine lives is hard to relate. Or
0: are we just insane? Quite possibly. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, there, there's a germ of insanity <laughs> in, in, in most of us here. Well, I mean, for example, I just arrived here in Kiev yesterday and I'm planning to stay at least a month. And I was like, okay, well, you know, should I get an apartment? And it's, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like commitment issues, but I just could not get myself to book a place for a whole month. So i I'm like, well, what if I don't like it after a week? You know, I want to move. Like I want to have the flexibility to go to Odessa and you know, and just live there for the next you know month instead. So when I instead of me booking an Airbnb for a month, I booked it for three days and I said, okay, let me book it for these three days and then decide if I want to stay for the month. And I when thinking back in the US or pretty much anywhere else in the world, when you find an apartment, like you're signing a year contract and it's normal.
2: Yeah, at the very least. And then most people stay, you know, a lot longer than that. I think I'm going to have a little bit of a, a side point to that, right? Because definitely when I started kind of traveling a lot extensively, I was more in that mentality. But as I progressed, I feel like I'm a little bit more settled now. I mean, it's all relative, right? I'm not that settled, but I feel like I like, I actually start getting an appreciation of routine because like, for example, I know like where my gym is. I know where the grocery store is. I know like what the good restaurants around me are and I appreciate that. And, but that being said, like ultimately there's still that portion that's like, Hey, I could, I could take off tomorrow and. Be perfectly
0: okay with that. I think that's actually a good balance. And that's actually what I'm trying to work towards now, where instead of coming to a new city for three days, you know, and just trying to do everything and then leaving to the next city, which first off is exhausting, second, ends up being more expensive. And then third, you don't really immerse yourself in the culture as much. And I remember, you know, just everyone I've, I've spoken to since I've been here and they asked me how long I'm staying in Kiev. I said, oh, at least a month. They look at me like I'm crazy. But in reality, I think that's actually the perfect way to digital nomad or travel is to go places for a minimum of a month, but maybe even up to three or six months at a time, especially when the weather is good. And then when the weather turns into slush, then you move on to the next spot, which is what you're doing, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think uh, for me in my head, like three-month mark is a really optimal time because A, it kind of gives you that time to immerse yourself and and kind of establish some of your routine and feel like you have like some stable foothold. At the same time, it also coincides with a lot of these like visa requirements and tourist visas and all that, a lot of 90-day things. Yeah, and and here, now you're talking about the weather and the weather turns to slush. Yeah, so one of the downsides, I mean, I, I, I love Kiev and I love like a lot of things about it. The weather in winter is not one of those things. It is freaking cold in the winter. Like I, I experienced my first true Ukrainian winter this this last winter,
0: and I was I was not prepared for how how cold it gets. I actually remember talking to you on Facebook, and when I you told me you were gonna stay here with winter, I I thought you were crazy, and turns out I was right.
2: No, no, you're, you're you're completely right. Um, I still have a picture there of me like completely wrapped up in like multiple layers, and and I, I got the, like the scarf over my mouth and everything. You see nothing but the eyes, and it's it's crazy. It's just I, I I want to avoid the winter here as much as
0: possible. And that's the nice thing about our lifestyle is we can
2: exactly. For example, um, we we plan on spending probably the winter in South America, which coincides with their summer given it's in the southern hemisphere so and then come back next year when the weather is good again i know you came here at the perfect time it's green outside it's sunny today it's like really warm so you you hit the spot at the right time
0: yeah it's, it's perfect so what months are actually good in kiev and when does it start getting really cold
2: Yeah. So, uh, this year is very atypical because I feel like summer took forever to come, right? We're pretty much in July now uh, at the end of June. And finally it seems like it's here. Generally, I'd say like, probably like mid May, it it starts getting pleasant. And then up through like mid October, give or take, the first time I came here was in, in late August and it was still really hot. But then literally like one weekend in early October, it just flipped a switch and. Autumn came and then winter came shortly
0: afterwards. <laughs> Very brutally. And when winter comes, are you just indoors all day or do people still go out to restaurants? What do you do? I mean, people go
2: out. Like you still see a lot of people on the streets. It, it baffles me how they're able to do it. But yeah, like I, I, I try to like camp indoors a lot more during the winter and just order delivery and things like that. But yeah, like generally here in the city, everyone's still out and about they're, um, dressed really warmly, obviously, but they're moving around.
0: I don't think I can do it.
2: It's crazy. And you should see, uh, I mean, the girls here all wear heels on like during the winter. In the and winter? Yeah. It's, Why? I, it, it it's because you know i i have a theory that probably uh you know the movie 300 and sparta right they they take the the babies are unfit for war and and cast them off very brutally but i have a theory that you know they at birth all ukrainian girls get evaluated on their ability to walk in heels on ice and the ones <laughs> that don't make it we don't hear from again because <laughs> literally like here's the thing you, you haven't experienced this right but like in a winter i'm walking around right and like i'm slipping and sliding you know i got the the vibram soles and the boots and everything right and then like the, these girls in like i don't know like six inch heels just like zoom past me like without a care in the world i'm like how is this how is this physically possible
0: so near the opera house there's some cobblestone roads Mm-hmm. And actually, when I was in Lviv last week, it's all almost all cobblestone. Yep. And I remember just walking at like a pretty swift pace, right? Yeah. And I see a, a you know Ukrainian girl with you know three inch heels or something
1: mm-hmm.
0: just zoom past me, and I'm like trying to catch up because I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, there's no way she can walk faster than me <laughs> in these heels on this fucking cobblestone. And I'm like, kind of like falling, like, you know, sl- like slipping around on these like, on these cobblestone, like little bricks. And I'm like, how are they doing this? Practice and genetics or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, big props to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess everyone wants to know, like, wh- how are the girls here?
2: <laughs> uh, the hype is true. That's all I'll say.
0: <laughs> okay. And I think Ukraine actually, I think this is actually one of those places where people, I don't know why people come here. But I think people end up staying for completely different reasons.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you alluded to one of the reasons people come here, right? But I think people come here and then stay. I've seen this actually with a, a few of my expat friends, right? There's just this like this charm in Kiev in particular. I feel like there's this charm about the city. It's like you almost have a bit of a look back in time because like you, I'm outside, right? Right now we're here in my apartment doing this podcast and it's like a new building, um modern amenities and everything. But I look out my window and one there's a, another new one that's being constructed and then there are these like completely soviet huge monolithic ugly buildings everywhere as well. And I think that's kind of a metaphor for how I feel about the city. It's it's this like dichotomy between modern and kind of that soviet era that past era. And mix into it, uh, as you probably notice, like English levels aren't very high here. They primarily speak uh, Russian here and Ukrainian, probably a bit more Russian in Kiev. And it, so it's, it has that like sort of like balance of like exoticism, but at the same time like the modern kind of progress, and like it, it just like it's such a diverse mix. And I think that really appeals to a lot of people as well.
0: I think I heard from a, uh, like a designer and architect where they said that the The best way to design, uh, I I forgot the word they used, but like, they said like, like feeling, you know, of a city. So it's not just cold or boring to, to really bring in some character, some warmth is to have a mixture of the old and the new. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what you described. And I think it's more than actually just modern and Soviet area. I think a lot of it kind of reminds me of something like way older than that, Mm -hmm. like the 1950s or something. Like just the way that some people still act, like Mm the family values, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, some, I don't know, some of the buildings look like they might be (laughs) from the 1800s. And it's, it's like a, it's like the last place on earth where there are white people, but it's like 50 or 100 years ago. Like it's like, I think everywhere else in the world that it's westernized, it's, you know, it's, getting almost I don't want to say the same cuz you know everywhere has different cultures yeah. still mm-hmm. but this place is completely different yeah i'd say so uh i think
2: like just generally in sort of eastern europe you get that sort of feeling I and mean, that's one of my one of what attracted me to to this part of the world right i've i've been through western europe uh, kind of did the whole backpacking trip after college thing and it was really interesting. It was great. A beautiful architecture, lots of different culture, food, et cetera. But I think what was really the draw for me to come to here is because you, you have this almost like – you're almost in this little bit of a time capsule and looking back into like what things were both from a mentality standpoint and like a physical standpoint. But at the same time, like – there, there are a lot of modern amenities around as well, right? Like the internet's pretty fast here, much faster than my internet home in, in the states, right?
0: I, I keep forgetting how crappy the internet is back in
2: the U.S. It's, 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 it's quite bad, yeah.
0: And it's expensive.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, so here it's maybe you pay like a couple bucks a month, like three, four bucks a month, like literally, yeah. L- literally, yeah, literally three or four bucks a month, and the speeds are all right. I'd say like still. Still not like the best even in in Eastern Europe. For example, I was in Romania before and on just a regular household connection, you're getting like 100 megs down and 50 megs up, which is pretty impressive. What are you getting here? Probably like 20 or so. Up and down? Yeah, it it, it, uh, it varies though. For example, like currently, I think there are some issues with the internet providers. So at the end of the day, you're still in a place where the infrastructure is a little bit more wonky. So,
0: So that's actually why I like Poland so much. Mm-hmm. It's because it's the perfect balance of Western Europe and amenities and infrastructure, mm-hmm. but also some of the lower uh, prices and kind of like the that feeling of Eastern Europe as well. And I think that's why I haven't decided yet. I think I'm pretty open-minded. But when Chris comes here next month, we're going to spend some time in Ukraine, see if he likes it. But then we know we're going to like Poland. So if we are going to base summer for the next three months, until basically to winter, it's going to be Poland.
2: Yeah. I I like Poland a lot as well. I've spent time in, I spent about like a month in Wrocław, which is on the west side of Poland, if I have my geography right. Uh, A little bit smaller sort of city, more student-based, exactly as you described, right? Like the infrastructure is definitely better. The prices are a bit higher, of course. It's hard to kind of beat the the prices here in, in Ukraine. And then the English levels are definitely stronger, right? So... It's a good balance, like you said, between kind of price and value and culture and everything. So, uh, for me, I, I really like to look at the value of things. So I, I'd say like Poland's probably gives you a lot of good value for for what you want. Do you think that's the Asian American in us? Because I love value too. Uh, maybe, yeah. I think I think honestly, from my family standpoint, they're probably more of just stingy. <laughs> But but from my standpoint, yeah, definitely like value. I, I wouldn't mind paying for something if I think like I definitely get a disproportionately high value from it.
0: I'm the exact same way. And it, and it's crazy because it's it explains why sometimes I'll stay in a cheap, crappy hostel that happens to be like in the city city center. And then sometimes I'll stay in like a really nice hotel. It, it depends on like how good of a value I feel like it is.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I, I kind of like take this to extremes sometimes like for example if I'm traveling in a country that is like more expensive right and I'm like well you know I could I could get like a five-star hotel in Kuala Lumpur for the same price as like you know a, a, a hospital here but I, I just like begrudgingly don't want to pay the same level for 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 the five-star hotel in in, in the more expensive country so I'm like oh, okay I'll get like a three-star one
0: <laughs> yeah so Back on the, the infrastructure and the internet, I was here last summer, and I actually feel like the infrastructure has improved a lot since then. The internet speeds seem like they've increased, and definitely my 3G speeds are more stable now. Because so I remember last year, uh, first off, I didn't have Wi-Fi as in as many places as it felt, and then like even at my hotel, like the Wi-Fi would just be out sometimes, and then I would use my 3G, and then it would sometimes would be out, but then the Wi-Fi would work again. So I would almost kind of switch back and forth, and. This trip, and it's only been, you know, a few days here in Kiev, so I have to report back. And, but like, how stable is your 3G? Is it always working?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually between SIM cards right now because I got a new phone, but, uh, generally, yeah, I, I see your, your anecdote about it being more stable and more accessible. It's probably true. Like, my brother just visited me from the US, right? And he's like, there's wifi everywhere, right? Which I didn't really notice as much of that probably in the previous years, so. Can't say for sure that they're 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 doing things well, but uh, it seems like you know you see that contrast and I kind of see it, so probably true. Well, there's definitely more
0: coworking spaces in Kiev now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not a big coworker, but yeah. But because I remember last year when I was looking for spaces, I, I pretty much found one. You know, I didn't look that hard, but I was like, okay, there's like there, oh, there's a space, and so I wrote about it, I put my blog, and then this time I was like, wow, there is like five or ten, and I went to one yesterday, and I was like. This is like pretty good. It almost kind of reminded me of we work in the US, which is a little bit it was almost like a little bit too big, so I'm I'm gonna shop around and look for some other ones. But in Internet speedups was good. There's a huge IT and tech scene here now. And I think Ukraine is really pumping out like people in the IT and startups scene. Yeah, there there is a lot of development talent. You have to
2: search comb through it because oh well A like I said, I think English levels is probably the main hindrance for, for developers and just for human resources in general. It's hard to find someone who has the language abilities in addition to technical abilities, right? But if you're, you're selecting just for technical abilities, for example, if you have like a manager who's translating, right, then it opens up the pool a lot wider for, for what kind of talent
0: you can find. And it's, the labor is cheap here.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's probably one of the cheapest places in Europe. If not the cheapest place,
0: yeah, I I think so. I looked up the average salary for Ukrainians, and here in the capital, where okay, so in Ukraine itself, the average salary is two hundred dollars a month.
2: Yeah, the capital is higher, but if you get to the smaller cities, cost of living is significantly cheaper than Kiev, and so yeah.
0: And even here in Kiev, I think it was something like three hundred fifty dollars. Sounds about right. Which is insane. Yep. And this isn't the minimum wage. This is average salary for like an office worker
2: yep that being said i think like one of my theories is like the average salary anywhere in the world in a big city right just barely gets you by and so i think it's the same story here if not like it's probably even a little harder to get by on that but that said you know it's it's the numbers are pretty much accurate from my experience
0: so how much do you actually spend living here a month so, for
2: my girlfriend and I, we probably spend between like a thousand to fifteen hundred a month all in some month. I mean, like obviously if we make a big purchase, then it's gonna go up but generally that that's probably what we spend. We spend about like five thirty for apartment currently, and then the rest just pretty much go to food honestly because transportation costs are are negligible and yeah, so it's, like food it's and maybe some clothing so
0: 15 cents to take the metro from here to the city center
2: yeah that's if you don't have other discount cards and stuff
0: there's discount cards for that yeah
2: yeah like there's discount cards like if you you buy in bulk right you get like a slight discount obviously like many other places there's student discounts and things like that so the the transportation costs are, are really doesn't affect people at all and the uber, like uber here is super cheap as well. It, it is relative to probably most of the world. I did notice in Kuala Lumpur, the Ubers were even cheaper. Wow. Really? Yeah, in, 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 in KL, like a 20 minute ride on Uber costs like a buck 30 or something. Okay. And here would be like two bucks. Yeah. It be like th- three maybe. Okay. Yeah. Something like that,
0: which is insane. Cause in LA, I paid $70 mm-hmm. to get from LAX to my cousin's house in Brea, which it's normal you know without traffic it would be like half an hour mm-hmm. but obviously there's traffic and then it's l a uber prices so mm-hmm. seventy bucks and here it costed me i think an uber would have been three dollars, and but I decided to take what did I do I think I took a train or something <laughs> just because I wanted to it was like
2: fifteen cents, yeah, yeah, I took the metro i think uh yeah no the 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 cost of transportation in the states is just ridiculous i mean i I lived in San Francisco for a while, right it is like 20 bucks to get you a couple of miles if you're lucky so i'd say that's that's definitely a huge difference here i mean even like pretty much everything but transportation in particular yeah so food costs are pretty low too what's like your average meal price yeah um in terms of like eating out yeah. and stuff so it depends on where you eat out we we have a lot of sushi and pizza and things like that right but even there like for example if you get sushi for two people in a sit down restaurant Probably cost you about like, I don't know, 15 to 20 bucks. And then of course there are also deals and stuff. So sometimes you can go and call in and you get like two for ones. So you get like two meals of sushi or two people for 20 bucks. If you eat at like kind of self-serve restaurants or these like, you know, like business diners, whatnot. Yeah. I'd probably spend like three or four dollars a person, something like that for, okay. for for a very sizable meal. Right. And if you're, you eat less, it'll be even less.
0: So. I eat a lot. So every time I go to those, um, cafeteria style restaurants, I end up just frat- Cause I always, th- I think of it as a buffet, but then I forget that at the end, they charge you per item. Oh. <laughs> so I always end up spending like 150 grievna, which is maybe $8 or so. So I was like, you know what? It's, it's definitely cheaper here, but it's not like some, like surprisingly, like, f- you know, going out to restaurants isn't that cheap. Like you could still easily spend $30 on a dinner for two people. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I think it's also the fact that we are in the capital. For example, I know you just came in from Lviv that you spent a couple days in, and I was there uh, like two weekends ago, and it's even even it's cheaper. It's so right? cheaper. <laughs> it
0: is ridiculously cheaper. I, I just finished my blog post. If you guys want to read it, it's johnnyfd.com/ukraine, and I added a Lviv section, which should have been a whole post by itself. Even like even just like barely Eaten Lviv should have been. A whole post by itself because it's so cheap and it's so good
2: yes yeah, so good and so unique there are very there there are a lot of unique restaurants there in different themes like there's one that is right under like a military like weapons museum and it's, all they serve is ribs and the waiters come across with I, I like these there. axes yeah
0: i went there was it you that suggested that I'm yeah like yeah, Thank yeah you r- for
2: that. R- ribs under arsenal and, and surprisingly actually the price jumped significantly since uh, last year so it used to be like
0: two dollars fifty. Now it's like three dollars fifty. Three dollars fifty. So be careful, That's guys. Big, I know. <laughs> you know, you guys need to come here soon because what, like, what do you think is going to happen with their their economy? Do you think things are going to get more expensive?
2: Yeah, I'd say in a longer term, definitely. Right. Like, I mean, like you see, and I won't get too political here, right? But like for example, Ukrainians now can travel to uh, European countries, the EU, Schengen zone, without just with their passport, without like crazy visas. Uh, whereas it took a long time for that to actually happen. And so I, I feel like people are probably definitely in general, their mentality is moving towards progress and, and, you know, becoming more developed. So I'd imagine that things will definitely become more expensive, but also more, more modernized as we move along. Honestly, like Ukraine in the past few years have kind of suffered quite a bit from. Uh, from like economic instability and obviously political issues. So like, whereas before a couple years back, it used to be like one USD to eight Ukrainian grievnias. Uh, now it's about one USD to 26 Ukrainian grievnias, right? And the prices go up significantly while it's like the salaries and stuff.
0: Let's, let's pause there for a second and put that in perspective. So it used to be that your money would get you, let's say. You know, so one, to, one to, one to eight, now it's one to 26, which is more than what, more than three times. So basically everything now, your money is worth a third of what it used to be.
2: Yeah, a, a third, obviously like prices have gone up as well to match, but at least it's
0: a probably at least double, right? You get double the value or so. And so I've actually asked a few people this. I said, I said, how much have prices actually gone up? Like how much was inflation compared to? The, the currency and most people that I met, at least they said that things are definitely more expensive, but they're maybe 50% more expensive. They're not 300 times more expensive.
2: Yeah. So, so, so the, the currency exchange rate has outpaced for sure kind of the, the inflation across the board.
0: So I have a, I think my theory is that this is the best time right now to visit Ukraine. If you want a great deal, because it's not that Ukraine is that cheap to live in, just like how Russia isn't actually that cheap. You know, if you go to Moscow, St. Petersburg, it's, <sighs> it's expensive. Very expensive, yeah. I, I have a feeling that Kiev, at least, is similar to that, and the only reason why things are so cheap for us is because their currency is currently devalued. Yeah, I think I think that plays a big part in it, for sure. I think
2: even at, like, regular rates, it'll still, it'll still not be, like, super expensive compared to, I don't know, like switzerland or something but but at the same time like as the current situation stands that's where we really get uh, a tremendous value
0: because if things if the currency went back to one to eight which it could mm-hmm. that means that everything would cost us three times as much and then all of a sudden a dollar fifty beer would now be four fifty a four dollar meal would now be twelve dollars and then it'll be almost on par to like houston prices
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I'd say that's a pretty fair observation. Um I don't think it's going to like kind of overnight do the the jump, right? Usually like the currency falls <laughs> happen happen faster, right? But there might be a gradual sort of bridging of that gap.
0: Yeah, I, and I actually I have a feeling that's going to happen. That's why I want to enjoy it as much as I can now while it's a great deal and while it's a little bit almost kind of like undiscovered. Like there's, you know, I travel to all places and I post photos or something, you should be like, oh, I've been there too. It was great. But then as soon as I start posting about Ukraine, everybody's like, what? Where are you? Like they they just want to know about it because really like nobody comes here.
2: Exactly. And, and I, I kind of like that kind of a more unexplored Uh, element to it and uh yeah definitely i think i think that's good advice at the same time uh, after this podcast i think we're getting a huge influx maybe (laughs) i don't know i mean we'll we'll see how adventurous people are because it's not easy to travel here no definitely definitely one of the harder places like i said like based on my experience traveling through europe even eastern europe like it can get by with english levels especially like the younger generation there they have a decent command of it in Ukraine, out like in the center, it's even a little bit hard. If you go outside of the center, it you 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 gotta speak some Russian or Ukrainian, or else like you're you're screwed basically.
0: And did you learn Russian or Ukrainian?
2: I'm in a process. I'm learning Russian. Uh, my Russian is quite rough still. It's a difficult language for me. And how have you been learning it? I have. It's kind of off and on. So if I have had private tutors. I kind of use online resources, and yeah, that that's. That's kind of my general approach to things. I find that like accountability is the most important accountability and consistency is the most important element to that. But I'm sure, you know, the other language learning experts probably have different opinion. I, I, I'm not very good at languages to be honest,
0: but you already speak English and you speak Mandarin.
2: Yeah. I speak English, Mandarin, trying Spanish? to brush up on my Spanish cause yeah. we'll be spending some time in South America and then a uh, very rudimentary Russian still.
0: You know, so I'm gonna put this out there. I'm gonna try to learn some basic Russian while I'm here. Do it. I was actually trying to like I downloaded the Duolingo Ukrainian program when I was in Lviv because everyone there spoke Ukrainian, and I and I want to I want to support the culture and the country and speak Ukrainian, but I know that from a point of view of just like usability worldwide and even almost kind of easier learning, it's like it just doesn't make sense for me to learn it like. It's, and I feel bad. I really feel bad. You know, like I really want, you know, you, you like to support Ukraine and be like, okay, I'm going to learn Ukrainian. I'm not going to learn Russian, but it's like learning a language that people only speak in that one country while everyone else speaks the other language.
2: Exactly. It's like learning like, I don't know, like Hungarian or something, right? Or Swedish,
0: yeah exactly, or Swedish,
2: <laughs> where everyone speaks perfect English yeah. right it it's it's just you don't get as much return for it, and honestly, you know you, you gotta spend quite a bit of time and dedication to it, right, so I'm completely on the same page with you, you know, like I the way I see it is like if, for example, English and Chinese two of the top spoken languages, right, but then you throw in Spanish and Russian, and, and
0: then you set.
2: yeah, then then you got you got pretty much the whole world right, you're yeah, still missing a for the couple, French, nobody cares about them. French. <laughs> Yeah. French. Uh, I mean, like different dialects of Arabic, right? Uh, maybe Portuguese given Brazil is huge. But otherwise, you know, we, we cover a pretty big chunk of the world with this for.
0: Yeah. I, I like it. So what are you actually doing for work? I, I remember you telling me two, three years ago and it kind of just glazed over me. And I, I, I honestly, I still don't really know. Yeah.
2: So uh, I haven't changed at all. So what I do is I run a marketing agency and we're focused on email marketing channel. And our uh, our customer base, they're all e-commerce stores. So mostly B2C e-commerce retailers,
0: but a few B2B ones. So are these like big brands or are they like FBA sellers, dropshippers? Or what What type of customers do you have?
2: Yeah, they, they all have their independent sites and do a good chunk of revenue from the sites because it's just like less we can do with like Amazon stuff because of Amazon's terms of service and marketing to the customers. They generally aren't like... Like for example, right now we don't work with you know like the WalMarts of the world or anything like that. But yeah, so the teams vary between smaller mom and pop shops to ones that are more established, you know, with you know twenty, thirty million in revenue. But yeah, they they all have they're all within a certain niche, like a different niche, right? So we have beauty products, we got vitamins, we got apparel, and and many other ones as well.
0: And are these all U.S. based companies? Uh, mostly U.S.
2: But also a sizable chunk from Australia and a couple from the United Kingdom as well. So pretty much the, the major players in the English-speaking world for now. And how did you
0: actually get involved in this?
2: Well, when I was in the previous agency in San Francisco, we were doing something similar. Uh, so that's kind of my first exposure and, and learning the ropes there. And then when, when I struck out on my own, started off with like more just generally consulting and then we the demand was pretty high, so we pretty much grew from there.
0: Nice. And and where do you find most of your clients now? We have a bunch of different marketing channels,
2: right? Um, some from partner referrals like software we work with or other agencies who refer people um, from client referrals, trickling from podcasts, from forums, uh, content marketing, conferences as well. So it, it's a pretty healthy mix right now. Of course, we're always seeking to branch out.
0: So... It's it's mainly geared towards people that have like a pretty big established e-commerce business. I'm sure you have like some minimums. You don't want to work with someone who's just starting out.
2: Uh, Yeah, kind of. So we we've definitely also uh, scaled up a bit since the very beginning. Right. So we, we were working with uh, a bit smaller shops at, at the very beginning. And now we have a bit higher minimums. Right. That being said, like if someone is starting out and has funding, for example, then we can definitely jump in and help them like get kickstarted. But otherwise, if it's more of the long-term sort of engagement, managed services, then obviously, you know, you have to make them numbers work, right? So if your, your list or your store is just in the beginning stages, it's just hard for us, for, for the customer to, to justify
0: our rates. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And so I, I'm sure it all, it, it changes, but like what is the type of customer like you're looking for right now? Like, like what budget, what price point, what size?
2: Yeah. So I, I give you like a general range. That's pretty big range, right? But probably between like one to like 20, 25 million annual re- revenue would be like our target market. So serve sort of that like lower mid market in the grand scheme of e-commerce. That, that that's our sweet spot right now. So not really enterprise, and not really like two month old stores.
0: Okay. And most of the clients are do they do they have warehouses? Or are they drop shipping? How are they how are they selling
2: your products? Yeah. So usually it's like a combination. So they drop ship some some of their inventory, and then the rest they they have their own warehouses. Yeah, because because as you know, like drop shipping is good, but if it's one hundred percent that the margins give you a little bit less room to play with.
0: But I guess if they're doing one to twenty five million. They're, probably doing okay yeah (laughs) that's right (laughs) okay i like it and like this is something that you can do from anywhere uh
2: yeah definitely i mean i think like especially our client base because they are more digitally savvy i guess if you run an e-commerce store you kind of have to be more digitally savvy right they are i haven't really had any complaint ever about working remotely, right? So they're used to working with remote developers, remote uh, designers, other agencies. So I think it, it's really good to sort of be in the industry at this time because everyone's pretty open to, you know, you know, we have people all across Eastern Europe and, and Asia as well. So, so our clients are all really open to that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So like when you first meet them, I guess you're meeting them online anyways or at a conference. So they're kind of open to that. Like, is it, do you feel like if you were based in the US, you would have access to like bigger clients or do you think it doesn't matter? Yeah, that, that's, that's a question I'm asking myself like
2: a lot, right? Just contemplating like where I would establish like a little bit lo- more longer term location wise and what the advantages are and all that. Right now, I don't have the strict answer to that, but I think in general, yes, because of course, like, you know, being on the ground in person and in a more established economy like the United States, then you're going to have access to bigger clients and there's that serendipity effect as well. So I do feel like a bit isolated being out of the the central hub, right? But at the same time, I think like at least like our current marketing channels, a lot of it is like
0: digital based. So that helps like kind of brunt that blow a bit. Okay, that makes sense. And do you like, how are your working hours while you're out here? Because we're in a different time zone. Yeah. (laughs) Running running a remote team is a little difficult with the working hours, right? So
2: what we generally do is we do like kind of 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern European time. So that gives us like some overlap in the mornings with U.S. clients. And then our mornings sometimes we're able to catch the end of day with Australian clients. So that kind of bridges that gap. I have, I have two people currently in Asia as well. So they're working like later hours until like midnight, 1am. So that that's how it generally plays out. Well, you know, being, being the entrepreneur and the, the business owner, right? Like my hours tend to fluctuate a bit. So I might be working earlier and more likely later than, than those parameters to, to match up more exactly with like us based clients. So I find it like a good sort of middle ground. Ultimately, though, I think like personally, I prefer just working completely on U.S. time whenever possible. It's just like not as feasible being here. And then Asia time is really painful.
0: Yeah, I can see that. When I was calling suppliers at 2 or 3 in the morning when it was 8 a.m. for them, it was it was tough. I actually remember going like because I wouldn't be able to stay awake until that late. So I would go out. To like Zoe's the bar and drink and then come back at like one or two in the morning and then like be like, hi, good morning.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think one, one thing that is mentioned there is like when you have this like kind of second shift lifestyle, right? Like for example, when I was in Asia in the beginning, I was working until like 5 a.m. or something like that and then waking up at like 2 p.m. and or one or 2 p.m. And it just like, it takes a toll on your body. And I, I just. Don't, I mean, sleeping masks and black out the windows and things like that. But it's just somehow your your rhythms are are thrown off.
0: Yes, still your body knows. So was so that was it easier than being in South America because it was a U.S. time zone. Um,
2: so I haven't actually touched South America yet. So this would might be my first foray there. But like for example, when I was back home in in Houston for a little bit for some conferences uh, a couple months ago, I I really actually enjoyed that because um I could wake up like you know like. 7 30 8, 8 a.m and catch like half the day with my team here it's it's a very very filled half a day right so literally sometimes I I wake up at 8 30 and have back-to-back calls all the way until like 1 p.m but then like after that it, it kind of becomes silent and you're like oh I accomplished a lot today it's only like 1 p.m and yeah it feels good to to get a head start there
0: I actually remember when I was back in the US it was I felt like I got more done and i felt like i can respond to emails faster i can pick up calls myself so i can close more deals i can just grow the business more but then there's that trade off of first off kind of the like lifestyle and then also being able to kind of bootstrap because you're making us dollars but you're spending ukrainian hryvnia that is the ultimate currency hack
2: yeah that's that's a uh, currency arbitrage right there right um i think it's more important in the beginning as you're getting established because every dollar is really really important right but i think like as you progress i'm kind of at probably a year or two away from like a true turning point but i'm kind of at that turning point when i'm like okay well if i for example base myself back in the u.s yes my lifestyle costs will rise but the opportunity and, you know, being surrounded by people doing big things and all of that, I think the, that will far outweigh the increase in the lifestyle costs, right? And, of course, like I'm speaking for the position here where, you know, the, the, the numbers are bigger and you can, you know, move things around a bit. But definitely it, it kind of depends on where – what stage you are at, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. I'm kind of at this weird stage right now where I know if I lived – Somewhere like back in the U.S., I would probably make a lot more money, and then it wouldn't matter. But at the same time, living in places like here in Chiang Mai, I can slowly grow my income and then just save seventy-five percent of it, which I know back in the U.S. is pretty much impossible. It's I don't think I don't think anyone in the U.S. saves seventy-five percent of their their income. Yeah, it'll be a lot
2: harder. Just you know, from from even like peer, sub. Subconscious peer pressure and things like that, right? It, it all affects things. And I think it ultimately, uh, this is a little bit more of a soul searching question and one that I'm working my way through, right? It's like, what pace is your natural pace and like what kind of your ambitions are and what goals you have, right? Like if you want to start the next Uber, right? You, I mean, the, 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 there are like huge startups, you know, for example, Skype started in Eastern Europe and stuff. So you can do it. But at the same time, it's like there are that investor infrastructure and things in Silicon Valley and other places in the US, right, that help with that. Like you were saying though, like if you want to kind of take things at a slower pace, continue to work on your income, work on your lifestyle, all that, but just without like perhaps more of the stress, then
0: your strategy might work better. Well, I think you even hit a, a good point about the peer pressure, just keeping up with the Joneses. Whenever I'm back in the US, or even when I'm in a big city, even when I was in um, in Spain, I felt like I was underdressed, and I need to buy like better shoes. You know, I felt like I needed to just, you know, like I, I, I felt like I needed to go out and buy a leather jacket. You know, like it was just these little things that I don't ever think about when I'm in in Chiang Mai because it's first off, it's too hot to even wear anything but shorts and a t shirt. But second, you just don't care; nobody cares. You know, like you know, and there are people, you know, making you know well over six figures. And then people are bootstrapping and making a thousand bucks a month and they're both dressed exactly the same and nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody has a car. Nobody spends money on luxury goods or anything.
2: Yeah, I think there's that element for sure. Another point I want to make there is like when you do have a little bit more of a home base, then you start naturally accumulating things more. Like I pride myself in not owning very much. Like, I mean, I, I... my whole life was in half a suitcase for a good part of like two and a half years, but like being a little bit more longer term in, in Kiev here and, you know, being a little bit more established, like I just find that I start accumulating some things, like, and, and then I'm looking at the closet and it just like it starts to fill up. And I think it's just like a byproduct there, um, where you're not really like forced to as much to change locations all the time. So, so you can afford to have some more stuff, but ultimately, I mean, it, it depends on the individual, but I feel like having all like the latest and greatest stuff, that's not like really my priority. That's good.
0: So, are you are you going to keep this apartment when you when you go to South America or are you going to give it up? No, we're we're going to give it up because we're going to be
2: gone for so long, probably like 9 months or something until ne- next summer. It, it just doesn't make sense to to keep paying for it if we're not just going to be here.
0: Yeah, and that's good that you can just kind of refresh and force yourself to clean house and be light again. Kind of. So
2: my girlfriend does live in Kiev and she does have a place here that she kind of owns. So like we do have some like storage space <laughs> if you want to see, see, think about it that way. So it's like, it's not like we're, we're throwing everything away. Right. Um, but at the same time, like you can only pack so much in a carry on and your check luggage. So, uh, that forces us to really pick and choose like the items that are more essential or items that we
0: use a lot. That'd be exciting. So there's one thing that. I just found out about Kyiv or Ukraine is that I heard their banks, like just like a savings account, I heard they pay like twenty percent interest. Yeah,
2: like twenty twenty five percent interest. I wouldn't put any of my money in here, not as investment advice, but personally, I wouldn't because uh, the instability. I mean, like generally, returns are linked to risk, right? And the instability is ridiculous. I've you know personally know people who. Have had banks closed, lose all their savings. Uh, a couple months ago, the biggest bank here, like the head of the bank, just like absconded with a couple billion dollars. So, like it, it's it's not a very stable sort of infrastructure for for financing right now. So, I I would I would keep the the, the bulk of your net worth probably away
0: from that. At least my net worth. Do Do you have a a local bank account?
2: Yes, but it's very it's not used very much. I don't keep a lot in there.
0: I've heard that they also have kind of like a their version of the FDIC. Where they insure it up to something like five thousand dollars or something.
2: Yeah, which is significant given you know the average salary here, but it's not super significant given you know if you're earning dollars and used to
0: that sort of scale. I'm almost thinking like maybe I should just put five grand into into bank account here, almost kind of take that risk because I mean twenty percent interest like for a savings account. Where it's ridiculous. You get that?
2: Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous and. Yeah, I mean, I oh, I won't sway your advice either way there, but I I'm just kind of bearish in terms of like the stability and like not being a Ukrainian citizen and you know yeah because like,
0: would that would that insurance even cover us? Uh, well, I, I don't know.
2: I, I frankly don't know. Even if it did, though, I'd say like sometimes it can be hard to get paid yeah, out. Yeah, like huh? like like the bureaucracy here and like let's face it, it's it's not everything by the book. <laughs> here so there's definitely risk, but i mean like you get rewarded for risk right so uh it just depends on kind of your your tolerance resources and
0: i'm I'm gonna look into this because i figure there's a couple of things that can happen right is one we, we lose all the money we lose five grand <laughs> or it grows at 20 percent, and then there's the currency where it could get worse it can go you know right now it's at 26 to one it could get even worse. But in that case, I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter because my, you know, I could just come here and just like live even better (laughs) as an American. But if it goes back to, you know, one to eight or just, you know, closer to one to eight, not only you get 20%, but then also the, the value of the actual cash is worth more.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, I, I think again, it goes back to like what your tolerances are, what your resources are, right? And I mean, I I doubt you'll put like the bulk majority <laughs> of, of your net worth in in something like this, right? But if if it's a, a segment of it, right,
0: it could be it could be a good thing. Could be fun. How how was the process of opening an account here? Painful.
2: So it was it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of documents, a lot of paperwork, a lot of go to this person go to this person translate this translate that so and again like you know like I said it's not really by the book necessarily all the time so like for example like it it relates to consistency right so for example you might get one person and it's like much faster but you might be routed to someone else and just like the process is a lot longer so there, there's some complexity involved.
0: Did, were you able to open your account in person in one day or was it like multiple no, trips? No, it,
2: it, t- it took multiple trips. Part of it's my fault because I was doing my due diligence as well. So yeah, but it, it, it took multiple trips.
0: Okay. And did you have to prove anything? Were you just show up with your passport or what else do you need? No, yeah, well, so
2: I, I say my case is a little bit different because it was actually through like a company structure. Here. So there's like a different process. If you open your personal account, I
0: don't know the exact
2: process okay. on that one.
0: Yeah. And so visa wise, how, I, I'm only allowed to stay here for 90 days. I think every 180 days or something. How are you living here for so long?
2: Yeah. So basically, like, if you are employed here by a company here, then you can get a temporary residence permit that's renewable each year and it gives you a year stay each time. So that's, that's what I did prior, but actually like recently there, there was a lot of paperwork and, and stuff. I won't go into it, but so um, I actually terminated that. So now I'm on the same situation as you are.
0: Okay. So when you come back next year and you want to stay longer, what are you going to do?
2: Well, A, I think three month is good enough for all summer. Uh, so I'll probably just bounce out after that. So that's probably my, my, my game plan is just like come here, do a three month at the, peak of the the best season and then get out
0: okay i i i can, I can see that i i think like part of my weird fantasy is like i just like ukraine i don't know i like i can't even describe it's not one thing i think we, we kind of alluded to it earlier but it's just it's just like a feeling of like of being a place where you just treated really well you know like not in terms of customer service <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna say like uh... <laughs> but like you know Like, you know, first off, like, the buying power is insane. But also, I think people are really nice once you guys know them. Like, they're really nice.
2: Yeah, I think it actually is surprising. For example, like, people are saying hi in elevators and stuff, obviously in Russia. but And I'm like, before coming to Eastern Europe, I had in my head that everyone was, like, completely standoffish. And you get elements of that, of, of course. But I feel like people are a bit more open than I expected. And of course, like the language barrier. Once you start overcoming that, it helps. The other thing is just like, like you and I were both Asian American, right? Like we stand out here a lot. Like we stand out like a sore thumb. Um, if you're in downtown, uh, the the main area, like less so because there's more foreigners. But for example, I live here like in a more residential area, and uh, I'm 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 just like completely I, I zone everything out by now, but. Basically when I first came here, just like everyone staring, you know, like, like the, the grandmas and babushkas on the, uh, metro would just like, like stare with like huge eyes and the kids would like pull their, <laughs> the tug at their parents and say like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like I've never seen an Asian person before. So it's, it's interesting, but of course like, you know, it,
0: it, it can be uncomfortable if you're not used to, to that. Have you ever felt any like, any like unsafety or have you ever been scammed or robbed or anything?
2: Yeah, so I say in Ukraine. I mean, obviously be smart about it, right? I say in Ukraine, it is a bit less of a concern. Um, I've had friends who have had issues, more more like robberies and, and muggings. Um I actually did have an incident in Poland where that happens, but I was probably not being as smart walking uh, home late at night, you know, mm-hmm. by myself. Probably should have taken a taxi there. But so yeah, definitely like kind of be aware, situationally aware. Um I say like during the day and everything, if you're in a popular area, all of that like not really an issue. But like once you're it's night and you might like a sketchier area or you're very alone, obviously be concerned of your physical safety a bit more.
0: And the time in Poland also with your friends, were they robbed at like gunpoint or knife point or
2: uh in my situation it was knife point. And pretty much like it was, I won't go into too much details, but it was just like kind of more, maybe like, or more opportunistic versus like in full intent. Uh, with my, my friend, it was, he got like pretty much like sucker punched and you know, they ran off. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so it happens. I mean, it's definitely a bit rougher than some places in the world for sure. But then again, like you, you won't be. Walking around all blinged out in the ghettos of L.A. or something
0: either. Yeah, well, I actually got carjacked in L.A. Yeah, exactly. So I actually feel like I'm safer here than I am in most other big cities, including San Francisco, L.A., New York, and even like I I feel safer here than like Barcelona in terms of not getting like pickpocketed.
2: Yeah, yeah, pickpocketing is is not so much a thing i'd say like like if you're walking around at night there's a lot of drunk people sometimes depending on where you are so and 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 sometimes like people come up to you, right? Like, generally, you just kind of ignore them and, and, you know, walk faster. So there are, like, some strange people around at times. But, yeah, like, all in all, for a big city, I think it's probably feels safer than a lot of other big cities I, I've been.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And I don't know what, what their legal system is, but I kind of just assume that if you get caught pickpocketing someone in Ukraine, like, it, they, like, either kill you or they, like, put you in this... In like a, like in this jail that nobody wants to be in. So just nobody does it. I have, I have no idea. Um, honestly,
2: I, I, I have no idea. I think maybe it's just because you can't pick up pocket for very much money. Oh, maybe that is, <laughs> yeah, I guess that could be. <laughs> you really
0: carrying around that much cash. Right? Yeah. Cause like in, cause in Barcelona, the reason why everyone pickpockets is they just get like something like a $50 fine. That's, that's ridiculous.
2: It. That's, that's like a cost of doing business.
0: Yeah. And they're just like, oh, okay, well, let's, ho- let's, you know, hope not to get caught today. <laughs> And that, and that's what I hate about it so much. But here, like, I feel like people, like, are really genuinely hardworking, like, good people. And like, I haven't felt that about a culture or a place in a long, long time.
2: Yeah, I'd I say so. I think people kind of keep themselves a little bit more per, per the culture. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think part of it also is like, you know, people have to kind of put in the work and everything to, for survival purposes, right? You gotta, you gotta pay the bills and feed yourself. So that's, as part of it. But yeah, I think like cultural wise, maybe like more wholesome would be the word describing it. I don't know if that's the best word. Yeah. i can say that.
0: And on a side note, like I, I think what you said earlier about like the stereotypes of what like Ukrainian people would be like or what the Eastern Europe or kind of like the pre, the post Soviet people were like, I feel like, I used to think that Ukrainian people would be very similar to Russian people, but I feel like the more I get to know them, especially in West, like Western Ukraine and like Lviv, where it's very, very different, it is such a different culture.
2: Yeah, I don't – I haven't like – I want to be hesitant here because I haven't really been to Russia at all, right? But from the limited interaction, I feel like – the, the Russians I have kind of tangentially interacted with, probably a bit more of a aggressive culture, like a bit more of what we might be thinking from the West. Whereas the, the Ukrainian and the Ukraine culture, it like, it feels a bit more subdued and less like aggressive, which I like, you know, I, I don't want to be like all confrontational all the time, right? So.
0: Well, let's go, uh, have some beers at, uh, the hydro park at night and (laughs) pick some fights and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. And then work out
2: before just to, you know, pump, get a good pump pump. going. All
0: right. Well, I'm, I'm really happy that not only did we chat about this today, but also that you were pretty much the first person that i knew who had ever come to ukraine so you're one of the reasons why i felt comfortable to come here so thank you for that X. awesome i'm glad to be a uh, example here pioneer <laughs> yeah and if you guys want to visit ukraine i think it's a great time to do it it's definitely not easy but it is doable check out the blog johnnyfd.com slash ukraine for the blog post and if you want to get in touch with you check out your your services or just get in touch how can they reach you
2: yeah. So, uh, my website is essence of com, And if you ever want to just shoot me an email, it's just x at essence of com. So pretty straightforward and simple.
0: I like it. They're pretty short as well. At least the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Very cool. So I think we're going to go get some borscht because that's what X eats every day here. Oh, so delicious. And really enjoy the nice sunny day. So guys, keep in touch and if you have any questions or comments, leave something in notes, the notes section and a big thank you to everyone who's been leaving these great five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes and big thank you to Trip Streak our sponsor. So if you guys want to come out to Ukraine or anywhere else, check out tripstreak.com/travel like a boss. I'll see all of you guys next week. Bye-bye.